Hi, my name is John Kim, and I'm a therapist who went through his own rebirth. I share my feelings and revelations. I believe in casual or clinical, and with you instead of at you. I come unrehearsed on purpose because self-help doesn't have to be so complicated. You know when you meet someone and you just hit it off because you guys speak the same language? That was the case for today's guest, who I'm so pumped to have on my podcast Met her like 10 years ago on the internet, and 10 years on the internet is like 100 years in real life, although we're friends in real life as well. Uh, back when I was on Tumblr and I needed help because uh, I had no idea what the fuck I was doing and I was getting just too many questions. And Anyway, uh, she was one of the first to answer that call. Her name is Dr. MC McDonald. I knew her before she was a doctor. And uh, she specializes in trauma. She is so talented in what she does. She uh, is a professor. She teaches for our life coaching, intensive journey coaching. And also, uh, well, she's a professor at a university as well. Um, She's also a writer. She's also a coach. She's a trauma coach doing amazing things, um, running groups and all sorts of stuff. So what she does uh, is she brings trauma to street level she uh how do I, she normal she normalizes trauma yeah 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 she normalizes it and uh the way she talks about it is uh, in a way that is refreshing and different and important and so enjoy dr mc mcdonald as we have a conversation about trauma and how trauma affects our relationships mc mcdonald hi how are you Good, how are you? Good. So I want to start, um, first of all, thank you for being on my podcast. I thank appreciate it. Thank you so much it. for having me. It's exciting. I want to start with um, how long we've known each other. Um, since we were about eight. No. <laughs> eight and a half. So I, think, so I think this year is actually 10 years, which is crazy. Holy shit. Like, I think you and you and Noel go, I don't remember who I met first, but you guys go probably the furthest back uh, as far as uh, people that I have worked with and continued to um, just be friends with. And so yeah. 10 years, let's, let's, uh, how did, how did we find each other? I know it's on Tumblr. I, I found you on Tumblr. Actually, someone had retweeted something on Twitter and then I found you on Tumblr and you, you were, I was like at this kind of, um, pivot point in grad school trying to decide if I wanted to continue, which I eventually did, but, um, I was looking at other things to do and you had, um, like kind of an internship thing going on, on, uh, what was it? The tree house? Was there a tree involved? Yes. I created something called, I called it the tree house. I was, um, thought that was kind of cute on Tumblr. And it was like a, I don't know if it was an internship. I don't know. I, I'm sure there was false advertising involved. It was like I, a team or like something, you know. Yeah. Was, yeah. I, I just remember I was panicking because um, my blog was just taking off. I needed help. I was by myself. And so I, I think I was trying to be all professional by, by stating that I needed uh, some kind of uh, apprentice internship or help. I didn't have money, so I couldn't pay anyone, but I needed help. And maybe that's that's the net I threw out there, and, and then I caught you. <laughs> it worked. It worked. It certainly changed my life. So, so since then, I mean, that was a decade ago. It's so interesting to just follow your story. Um, and you are now in Los Angeles. I am. By the ocean. Yep, and I got a PhD, so I did finish grad school. And I yeah. also I did, I did the both and, not the either or, so... Um, I teach and life coach and write and research and all the things. Yes, you are now a doctor. I am. Wow. Not the I, usual 
find, but yeah. <laughs> I'm um, really proud of uh, how far you've come. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. Yeah. Uh, but you know, you haven't changed as a person, meaning all the, all the great uh, characteristics of MC is still there. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's cool. I feel like now these days, it's kind of rare to have someone who's part of your journey for that long. You know, people move around for yeah. often and like, I, I value and appreciate it, uh, especially at how fast the world moves and the internet. And also, you know, we technically met online. And so um, yeah. to, to have an authentic relationship that lasted uh, over, uh, or, you know, nearly a decade yeah. um, is pretty, it's pretty awesome these days. It's exciting. Yeah. So let's talk about trauma. Yes. Um, can we start with this? Because I always love your definition of trauma. The definition of trauma. So this is something that's debated. And this is actually one of the reasons why I kind of fell into trauma research is because there's not a single unified definition of trauma that clinicians agree on, which I think is kind of fascinating. Right. Um, so it's ever changing. But the, the, relation, the, the definition that I stick with and always go back to is this, which is that traumatic experience is unbearable emotional experience that lacks a relational home. Mm. And I get this from Robert Stolero, who's also in LA, um, who works on trauma as well. Um, but yeah, so unbearable emotional experience that lacks relational home. I love how wide that definition is because yeah. I think a lot of people think um, when they think of trauma and they think about their own, their own life, if they haven't been to war or if they haven't been uh, sexually uh, uh, assaulted or, or, you know, um, you know, haven't been, uh, uh molested or, 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 or had any kind of childhood trauma, then they feel that, uh, they've never had trauma and that's totally not true. Totally. And I think, so we create this false hierarchy and it also, it's negative going the other direction as well, because you can go to combat and survive sexual assault without being traumatized. Yes. So we label certain events as, you know, inherently traumatic. We really take away the, like, the agency of the person who it happens to, right? We right. should get to decide what's traumatic for us. And the other thing is that the other reason I like this definition is that it's wide, but it's not so wide that it, like, stretches the definition to meaninglessness, you know? Like, it's not everything. It has to be. It has right. To be it's not so abstract where it's like means nothing. <laughs> right. Exactly. Because then you can just walk around and say like, you know, there's no, I, this is the silly example I always use in the catalyst class, which is that, you know, there's no, they ran out of pumpkin spice latte. Like I'm traumatized. Like, no, you know, is that unbearable? No. Right. So it's still, it's wide, but it's not too wide. So let me ask you this. Um, and I have you on obviously because uh, I want to talk about trauma um, I, I love your approach and also you being an expert and been studying it for so long and now coaching people with it. Um, what got you into trauma? What, what led you toward that, that, uh, field, that yeah, topic? Good question. I was not, I, it was not on purpose. It was a, it was sort of a, a beautiful accident. So I was using, I was studying identity and sort of the way that we, that, that, you know, human psychology, how do we build an identity and what is an identity and what happens <clears throat> when our identity gets interrupted? <clears throat> Excuse me. And so I fell into trauma because I wanted to use it as an example of when um, our, our narrative, our internal narrative gets shattered. And when I started, so I started with the definition, right? So what's the definition of trauma? That's where you go first. And because there wasn't, you know, I started going to these conferences in psychology, um, 
there's an international trauma conference that happens every year in Boston, which is where I was going to grad school. So I just snuck in because um, registration was $500 and I didn't have that mm-hmm. <laughs> and tried to, and I was just trying to, you know, kind of get the definition of trauma. And I, and the conference, the first year I went, um, they were arguing about the definition of trauma, right? What counts as traumatic. Right. Um, and so I was like, oh my goodness, this is not, this is sort of like, in some ways, something we've been studying since the 1800s and in other ways, uncharted territory. Yeah. And I just fell down a rabbit hole and got into neuroscience and biology of trauma and, and just trauma in all of the ways. And then I'm still in the rabbit hole. Yeah. And it's such a big topic. Um, yeah. With today's conversation, um, how do you want to slice this? What door do you want to enter? The, I mean, it's, it's, this is one of the things I love that everyone is talking about trauma. I love that, that PTSD has become, you know, like common dinner table conversation topic. But I think there are some ways that we are kind of mishandling it or misunderstanding it and leading to, um, to further, you know, problems. Yeah. Let's start there. How, how are some ways that we are uh, mishandling it? So I think one of the biggest ways um, is when we talk about triggers, right? So everyone is talking about triggers these days. And and again, that's great, right? Awareness that people are triggered, that trauma is something that causes triggers is really important. Um, but there are a couple things that we don't, that I don't see in the conversation um, around triggers. One is that there's this assumption that we all know what our triggers are, right? And sometimes we do, and that would be fantastic. Like if all of your clients came to you and said, you know, Here's this, my, here are my triggers, right? Right, and here's how it's interrupting my life, and you know, then you could just kind of get to work and knock them out, and that would be done. But we can be triggered by anything, right? And what it means to be triggered is to be sort of like thrown into the past in this sometimes entirely unconscious way. Mm. So you could smell something, or see a color, or someone says a phrase, or just some little fragment reminds you, reminds your body of the initial trauma or the trauma that you experienced through your life. And you are in some sense thrown back into the past, but not in a way that you can really think about or intervene with. Right. So something's happening and you're not even aware of it. Exactly. Uh, Right. Yeah. And then the second thing is that we were talking about triggers um, as if they are universally things to be avoided. And um, that's not the case. Triggers are opportunities to grow. What's happening when you're being triggered is that your brain and your body are trying to reconcile what was previously unbearable. So it's trying to bear, bear the unbearable. And so it is a beautiful opportunity to, to heal. Um, and that it becomes impossible if we just avoid all triggers all the time. So trigger warnings are often like, you know, here's, you know, I'm going to talk about don't listen to this if you've experienced this. And that's not really wise and helpful. Right. right? Um, that being said, I'm, I'm, I've written lots of things against exposure therapy. So I think it's not good to sort of try to plow through your triggers, but to approach them and try to figure out what they're trying to tell you um, is way more helpful than just avoiding them, especially because. Well, it seems like the, 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 the balance between, um, knowing what you can handle because if you you know drown yourself in your triggers it could be overwhelming it could go the other way right uh you could almost triggers can actually re-traumatize you you know um but also uh running from them and 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 living a life where you're constantly uh you know um, avoiding your 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 uh your triggers is going to make you um not grow and evolve and heal 
Totally. Because you teach your brain and your body that limiting is what keeps you safe. And so your brain and your body just find new ways to limit you. So it doesn't actually address the trigger at all. Right. It just keeps you in a, and your life just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So let's bring this to relationships because in relationships, um, we get triggered constantly. And a lot of, a lot of the triggers we're not even aware of. Right. And so if we go back to the, the definition of trauma, right, unbearable emotional experience that lacks relational home, right, there's a part of being traumatized that is fundamentally about relationships, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the things that's the, probably the biggest, most devastating injury of trauma that comes from trauma is that we lack, uh, we lose our blueprint for the world, nothing makes sense. Mm. And it and that happens sort of globally, not just specifically. So if you have a trauma um, in a relationship, right, that doesn't just, we talk about it as if it just makes it so that you can't trust that other person. Mm-hmm. But it's also that you stop trusting yourself and you stop trusting the world, which then makes it really hard in your next relationship, right? in your subsequent relationship. It creates, uh, it creates you, 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 um, you hold up a shield, you, you end up kind of um, uh, creating a moat. And you might not even know that it's there, right? So I'm sure you've had this experience, but I often like see clients who are like, you know, I can't get close to my partner and everything is good on paper and I can't figure out why, right? There's like a barrier to intimacy or there's a certain kind of intimacy, but not another. Um, And typically that's because there is some unprocessed trauma. The good thing is that you're in a relationship, right? And so you can process that in, in relationship. Um, you don't have to do that alone. What are some ex- examples of um, triggers um, in relationships? Is it usually um, from other relationships where maybe you've been cheated on? Uh, there's been, you know... Um, uh, Something that happened, uh, whether it, it's, uh, you know, someone did something to you um, or maybe some kind of emotional abuse, uh, gaslighting, stuff like that. I'm, I'm assuming in other relationships um, become tra- trauma, become traumatic. You carry that in your body. And then when you are uh, creating new love experiences, that stuff can, can come back up. Totally. Um, they can be. So I think it's helpful to kind of split them up into um, they can be specific triggers or they can be global. And so specific triggers would be like, as you mentioned, you know, you've got, you uh, faced infidelity in your previous relationship. And so every time your partner is like, doesn't text you back or right. They're unaccounted for in some way, or they're on their phone or you're, you know, you start worrying in this irrational way that they're not, you know, trustworthy. You're triggered by that specific event that happened in the past. But then you carry that. I, I like to think, you know, we talk about baggage, but I like, I like to think about it more like being haunted, right? There's this like ghost that follows you into your relationship and you can't really see it. And the other person can't really see it, but it's there and it's you. And so, um, there's those specific triggers and you might not actually be aware of them. I think like there's so much, there's so much noise about relationships on the internet and in, in just in the societal narrative about what makes someone trustworthy and what doesn't. Right. So you find these Buzzfeed articles that say like 10 signs that your partner's cheating. And it's like, not really, right? Like these can be just normal things like they're texting on the phone or whatever. Um, and so that can actually, that noise I think can distract you and make it so that you're not aware that it's a trigger from a previous relationship and not actually anything that's happening in your current relationship. So that's a problem. 
so once you're aware that there is residue that you're being triggered, you're jumping to conclusions based on um, something in the past that you've experienced, then what? How do then you what? how do you uh, then is the goal to um, get your body to not not be in a, a fight or flight panic state? Yeah. So the goal is always integration. Um, and how can you integrate your past with your present? How can you, um, and I saw something you wrote, I think a, a couple of weeks ago about like, that you don't like the terminology getting over. I think the same thing needs to apply to this. Like triggers aren't things to get over or to eradicate or erase. Yes. It's I just love that. information. I love that. And I, I love the word that you said, integration. Uh, which which sounds so much healthier than getting over. You know, um, a lot of a lot of people see me uh, after uh, uh, expired relationships, and they want to get over some someone. And when you say that, there's pressure, there's a ticking clock, uh, there's this urgency, and I think that makes people uh, quote unquote get over someone uh, slower. Absolutely, because you create like this. Um you set yourself up for failure and you create this inner battle that you're always trying to like, you know, be like, okay, am I over it yet? Am I over it yet? Oh, I thought of it that one time again, something reminded me of it. That means I'm not over it. That means nothing. It means something happened to you in your past. Like, right. So what does integration look like? I'm so sure. I think, you know, it kind of depends on the situation. I think that, um, communication is key and critical. And so being able to be in a space with, this person, whether it's like a coworker or, you know, a, a romantic relationship, because we can be triggered in all sorts of ways where yeah. you communicate it without shame. And that requires that you don't feel shame, right? So that you bring it, you, you shine a light on it and you say, look, here's the thing that makes me really nervous. I know it's not about you, but when you don't text me back for four hours, I go to a dark place. Like, what can we do about that? And then when you attack the issue, when you attack and address the, the trigger together, then two things are happening. You're creating strength in the relationship because you're being seen and vulnerable and the other person is hopefully hearing you and, you know, appropriately addressing that. Um, so there's that, but then you're also teaching your, you're showing your body the opposite experience, right? Which is that other people are trustworthy. The world is safe, um, which then calms the nervous system as well. So, yeah. So shame uh, lives in secrecy. And so um, when you're aware of the triggers, uh, and and this is where the the road forks, and most people keep it to themselves, and and oh. they and they feel like if they talk about it, uh, it's not their partner's job. They feel yeah. like uh, it's their responsibility, or they're going to be judged to actually talk about their process. And you know, mm -hmm. I I always say this is actually a responsibility you have because by talking oh. about your process, uh, you're doing life with your partner, not around. Absolutely, yeah. No, I think that's the perfect way to say it. Absolutely. And then what what else it does is it uh it produces relationship glue. I mean, assuming your partner is um, holding a safe space for you, now you guys are are closer because you've you've shared you you were vulnerable, and then your partner has a chance opportunity to hold that. Right, and you know it's also a really good sign, or not a good sign. It's a good indication if there's a huge red flag, right? So if you're sharing something like that, like right, you know, and then they shame you for it, or they don't want to exactly. hear it, right, or they make you feel defective. Totally. Totally. That's a huge, you know, that's a huge problem. Yeah. It's an indicator, right? It's not necessarily a deal breaker, but it's an indicator that either more work needs to be done or this might not be, you know, your person. So once you uh, are aware of it and then you express it to your partner, um, then what would be the next step to, to create a new experience that uh, eclipses the old or what would be? 
Yeah. So I think um, two things, I think make a plan, right? So what would, um, this is something I think we, we sometimes live in the emotion and we don't pass the ball back to the rational, right? So the emotion is real, but it's not a fact. So it needs to be like looked at and, you know, brought into the room, but then what are you going to do about it? So, okay. Let's say that, you know, we'll just keep going with this example. If you, you know, if you don't text me back for four hours, I, I go to a dark place. Okay, cool. I don't really want to be texting you every 20 minutes when I'm out with my friends. So what can we do that's reasonable? I'll text you every hour, something short, or I'll make sure, you know, whatever you work out that makes you both feel good. And then I think the thing is, because we focus so much on the negative, and this is just a, this is just the way our brains and bodies work. Um, you have to try to really focus on and imprint the positive experience. So when there is corrective behavior, so when the person does text you and you feel good about it, sit with that feeling yeah, and notice how it feels and let it kind of wash over you that, and kind of remind yourself, okay, I'm being seen. This person changed their behavior. They're, they're respecting my needs and my triggers and, and, you know, feel how that, how good that feels because that's the world telling you that it's not, you know, dangerous. Yeah, you know, I love what you just said, sit with it, because I think a lot of people can logically say, oh, um, you know, this person texted me back, this is a good thing, it's different this time, uh, but that's very different than dropping into your body. Yes. And, 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 I, and I think with uh, trauma, you can't just think about it, you have to actually experience it in your body, it's a somatic process. Totally. Um, your body is, is a little barometer. And it's, and I, I, I said this to somebody the other day, I feel like I, you know, I'm 38 and I just realized I have a body and I've been working, you know, I know Bessel van der Kolk and I've been working on <laughs> teaching people, you know, the body keeps the score, which is his book 2014 about, um, you know, how we, you can't just address trauma on the psychological level. You have to, it's, it's something that happens to your whole self. It's, it's a somatic reality as well, but it's, it's hard to, um, to do that, to drop into your body. It's a, it's, it's a whole other set of tools, but it is critical and it's life-changing if you can do that. I love this piece because uh, if you are in a relationship and you are experiencing new love experiences, and a lot of times we uh, have resistance to new love experiences, even when they're healthy because we're so used to the unhealthy, right? Oh, totally, yeah. And so if we uh, actually sit with it and we allow ourselves to feel it, and, and, and let that be imprinted, um, mm -hmm. then it changed. I mean, it could also change our, our lenses and what we decide to put weight on. Oh, totally. And it's, you know, just all it involves is paying attention to how you feel without judgment. So like, you know, we don't do this, I think, especially in the beginning of relationships, because we have such, you know, again, there's so much noise out there about what beginnings of relationships should look like and how passionate you should feel and all this stuff. But do you feel safe around this person? What is your heart rate like? <laughs> Are you nauseous in a bad way? You know, like, what is your body telling you? Is it telling you that to slow down? Is it telling you to spend more time with yourself? Is it, is it telling you that this person is safe and does make you feel relaxed? Like, what's your sleep like? Like, all these things are affected by, by who's around you. And so pay attention to them. So this sounds really simple, but... Um, is this what healing looks like, giving yourself these kind of corrective experiences and then dropping into your body and allowing your, your body to, um, to feel these that, that yeah. are different than before? Absolutely. Um, because what, what trauma, what traumatic experience does is it, it, it leaves you homeless. Mm. And so 
you have to learn how to come home to yourself, to your body, to right. The world, right? Like, so when you, every time you have uh, an opposite experience where you feel safety, if you focus on that and settle in that and feel what that feels like, you're reminding yourself that the world isn't inherently good or bad. It isn't inherently dangerous or safe. It is what it is. It's, it is there to be experienced and you're there experiencing it and it's going to be okay. So I have this uh, kind of a silly example, but it, but it's, it's topical and what we're, when we're talking about um, when I was, I think in seventh grade, um, someone stole my skateboard yeah. and, <laughs> and, and, and one can argue, uh, John, that's ridiculous. That's not traumatic. You didn't get punched in the face. Uh, there's a lot of seventh graders that have been through a lot more trauma than someone stealing your skateboard. Uh, but a little backstory, the reason why that was traumatic for me and I remember it is because, um, I had to beg my mom and, mm. and, uh, you know, we didn't have a lot of money and it was a very fancy skateboard. And, and at that time, I think it was the 80s or 90s, early 90s. Um, it was a hundred dollar skateboard, which is like, that's a know, lot. That's a lot. I mean, that would be like a thousand dollar skateboard today. And so she finally bought it for me. And I remember, um, being so scared that something was going to happen to it or I was going to, you know, lose it or whatever. And the very first day I, I got it, I, I, I skated to school and um, some bully, he just grabbed it and ran with it. And so um, the panic of, oh, my God, my mom just spent $100 on this. I just lost it. Is it going to come back? So it wasn't so much that, um, you know, I, I was affected physically, but feeling unsafe, right? Yeah. Feeling that something was taken from me. And mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be my virginity. It could be a skateboard. And I remember um, what I felt like. And I just felt completely uh, unsafe in, in that, you know, in John Kim's little world at that time. And so that was filed uh, in my body as trauma. Right. And it imprints, like, this is what I mean by like, there's the specific and the global. So there's that specific example that you can tell, but what it represents is that the world isn't safe, right? So it's not just about the skateboard, right? And I think the other thing is that, you know, in, there's, um there's like, so you know how, you know, with anxiety, if you have a panic attack, there's the actual experience of panic. And then there's also the panic about panic. Mm, <laughs> now, you know right. what panic feels like. Does right. that make sense? Like, yeah, yeah. So when, when, I feel you, like when you feel the panic of, coming, you're panic about, you're panicking about that. Yeah. And I think a lot of the time, so there's a lot of shame about our, our default responses. And so I would imagine in seventh grade, right, you probably had a very strong response to this experience. And then you felt instant shame at being that upset. And then the shame just compounds the, the traumatic experience because it's not only can you, it's like the world is unsafe and I'm not even allowed to feel the way I feel about it. Right. So feeling like, um, a, a, a loser because I feel panic uh, that someone took my skateboard. So judge, judging myself. And that's all of that is above and beyond the fact that like whatever the specifics are, that was your most valuable thing in that moment. Your most valuable thing got taken and that's a violation, right? And so that is, you know, nobody should be able to say this is more or less traumatic. And I think it's also like, this is another thing that I work on with people all the time, which is like, Look how, like, like just tune into your inner narrative, your inner monologue about yourself and look at how, like, nasty and gnarly it can get. Because if you as an adult, like, if that seventh grade you came up to you and, and was really upset, would you say to that seventh grader, like, all the things you just said, which is, like, 
you know, you had all these qualifying statements, like this is a silly story and this wasn't a big deal, but you know, right. It, it is a big deal that seventh grade, you know, we have to, we have to be kinder to ourselves. Sure. Sure. And which is, you know, harder to do than to be kinder to others. Oh yeah. At, like astonishingly. So, yeah. So, you know, no child enters adulthood unscarred. Um, we have all been through trauma. We are also uh, traumatizing ourselves today, whether we, we are aware of it or not. I mean, if you even look at the workplace, um, you know, going, if you, if you work for a, a boss who runs the company with an iron fist, if there's eggshells in your home, if you um, have friends that are, uh, uh, you know, those relationships are lopsided, or wherever you are um, just maneuvering in the world, if you feel unsafe, if you feel threatened, and threatened doesn't mean like you're scared someone's going to hit you. Um, th- threatened can just be like, I, I feel uneasy or someone's going to judge me or they're going to say something about my, the shirt that I'm wearing. I mean, who knows, right? Um, all of that can lead to uh, traumatic uh, experiences. All of that can lead to trauma, not like with a big capital T, but it could be like almost like hairline cracks. Yeah, totally. That's a good way to put it. And they're still there. They're still real. And if you have enough of them, you're going to get a break, right? So, yeah, yeah I think anywhere you feel unsafe, judged, criticized, um, controlled, manipulated, even in small ways, um, any place you feel limited like that, you are unsafe. Yeah. So I, I think it's not just about um, healing a specific incidents, but um, the way that we go through life, just being very aware and being connected to our bodies. So we're, we're constantly um, protecting ourselves. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's the, that's the global thing. Like, and I think it's also really helpful, right? So we all want to get better in our relationships. And so how do you do that? We, we, we want to work and sometimes overwork our relationships, but you can work on yourself all the time. So pay attention to your body, not just when you're with you know, your partner, but also like at work, right? Does that, does the work energize you or does it deplete you? What is it like feeling around, you know, how do you feel around your boss, right? How do you feel in all these places? It just gives you, it's a, your body is a barometer and it's sending you messages all the time. Yeah. I, I think um, if, if there's anything that I want people to take away from this episode, it's the value of uh, dropping into your body. Uh, your, what you just said, your body's a barometer. Um, we, we usually disconnect with our body. We usually yeah. don't want to feel our body. We don't like our bodies, uh, especially, you know, and, and, and we could start talking about this a little bit because it falls under the umbrella of relationships um, in the bedroom, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say three or four out of five women that I've coached um, have been traumatized uh, sexually in some way and that has affected their relationship or connection with their body. Oh, absolutely. And I think even for those who haven't, I had a, I, have, um, I had a client the other day and I, and we were talking about, um, you know, long-term relationship, um, like, you know, how do you keep the spark alive kind of thing? Yeah. And I, you know, we were kind of going around and around and I said, wait, well, wait a second, do you even know what you like? Right. And she was like, what do you mean? Like the question has literally never occurred to her. And I think that like, that's a function of the fact that we are, we are like disembodied people running around, right? For whatever reason, because our bodies are scary and we don't understand them. And so we just disconnect or because we've had trauma. And so we have to disconnect or, you know, because it's not, it doesn't feel safe to have pleasure. And so we disconnect, right? So all these things are um, getting in the way of having a connected and, and, and healthy and happy and, you know, pleasurable sex life. I think most women 
grow up um, not only disconnected, or I don't know, you know, if it's a chicken or the egg, but um, because they uh, see sex in the early days as uh, exchanging, using sex to get love or approval or validation. Oh, yeah, so basically, um, sex becomes more of a service than something yeah. that you enjoy. And then it's not even a bodied experience at all, right? It's like a transaction. And so you're just kind of waiting for it. Even if it is good, you're just like, well, this is what I'm doing for this, not a good in itself, you know? And I think it starts with, uh, you know, to lay new tracks, you have to um, connect to you first. It's not just about like, okay, I'm not, you know, I'm going to choose when I decide to give uh, sex or or have sex with someone. Uh, Yes, I could be a part of it, but it's really starting with your connection to your own body what you like, you know, and like you said, what you like, what you don't like, what feels good, what doesn't. Um, but even before that, like acceptance. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to say that, like you, sh- you have to kind of accept it and, and move past the shame. There's so much shame in so many different ways about, you know, being sexual, right? Like about having desires. That's something that like a lot of people are taught is just shameful. Yeah. And so, like, what are your fantasies and, and don't judge how silly they are or whatever. Like, what are they? And can you imagine sharing those with, you know, your partner and what would that look like? And then things can get, start to get really exciting as you start to actually think about, tune into what you like and, um, you know, what really turns you on and what works for you. Um, can that can really enhance your relationship because, you know, we all want the other person to be into it, right? No one wants transactional sex. What if you've had a lot of sexual trauma? What if you have been uh, molested or raped growing up? Um, and you've completely disconnected with your body. It seems like it seems like you go one way or the other. You either become very sexualized, um, yeah. whether you're connected or not, yeah. or you kind of become uh, uh, se- sexually that. anorexic. Yeah, totally. I'm glad you said that, that because I think a lot of people don't know that one of the responses to sexual assault is to be, is to lean into it, and it's a way of saying like you know. Uh, I'm not going to let this define my sexual self. I'm going to have all the sex that I want. And this is about me, but it's sort of like a, it's like an illusion of control. Um, and there's not a lot of feeling or empowerment in it. Um, or as you said, you go the other way where you're, you know, sexually anorexic and it feels impossible and can actually become physically impossible, right? Your muscles literally clean up and you feel physically unsafe. I think, you know, I've done a lot of research. Um, the Esther Perel is great. Yeah, she's great. And she talks about, again, it's about coming home to your body, right? So you have to teach your body the opposite. And it is possible. Many, many people who have had the the most profound, um, you know, sexual trauma in their past can heal from it. Um, it's about teaching your body the opposite experience, right? Learning that touch is safe. Um, and I think it's also like, you know, that there's a vulnerability and a patience, you know, that has to be worked through with someone else that can be really healing as well if there's an opportunity for it yeah and it's gonna feel unfamiliar so it's almost it's almost like you know i I talk a lot about swimming passive breakers um usually when we give ourselves healthy experiences um they they may seem boring they may seem i mean they're not they're not things we're used to so we're usually uh defaulting to things that are unhealthy because that shoots more dopamine or it's exciting um, or feels familiar um, healthy sometimes is it's hard to swim to the healthy. Totally. And it, uh, you're, I think you're right. Like it does really feel unfamiliar and we seek the, we seek comfort in the familiar, even if it was terrible. 
And so that's something we kind of have to be. And that's where I think like a, a support network can be really helpful when, because we don't, you know, we're not meant to do this alone. So the more people you share this stuff with, the more help you'll get. So whether it's your friends or your family or your partner or all the above, or, you know, a coach or a therapist or whatever, um, those people can kind of say, well, hey, you know, this does actually seem like it's really healthy. Yeah, I get that it's a different pattern, but are you sure that you're not into it? You know what I mean? Like just kind of holding the mirror up for you. Yeah. And again, you know, um, I know it's hard, but actually uh, talking to your partner about this, going through the journey with your partner instead of something that you're doing by yourself. Right. I think that that's, you know, this is, I feel like one of the most common experiences that I have with clients and coaching is when they say, you know, I'll say something that from the outside appears like totally simple. And they'll be like, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't think about that. And usually it's, hey, why don't you just say that? Right. So it's like, well, you know, I really want my partner to do X, Y, and Z. It's like, well, why don't you just say that? It doesn't occur to us as possible. Like I think as a society, we're just, we're not really good at bringing vulnerable things out into the light. Well, because we have not exercised that muscle or when we have said that in the past, we were shamed for it or yelled at. Right. Exactly. And I'm a fan. There's um, a guy that was talking about, um, I said podcast, I can try to find it. Um, like doing this on like a low stakes basis. So, um, you know, you were talking before about, you know, what do you do if someone has faced, you know, serious sexual trauma in their past and they want to have a healthy, happy sex life? What do you do? Um, don't just jump right into it, right? Like give yourself little low stakes experiences of touch that are healthy, that you feel safe with, and then build up. I love this uh, low stakes thing that you're talking about. So give us yeah. give us some examples of low stakes. So the good the um, so there's that there's the touch example. If your fear is rejection, this is what the podcast um, was talking about. If your fear is rejection, go seek out situations in which you know you'll be rejected that actually don't matter. Right. So the guy in the podcast was like he would drive. He lived in New York and he would drive to the gas station and ask for a. A stranger for a ride to Canada, mm. and the person would be like, no, and then he'd be like, okay, rejection, and then how does that feel in my body? Actually, I'm okay, right? So it feels a little anxious in the beginning, but then I'm okay, um, and then he could build up and and you know face the fear of potential rejection in a relationship. So if you feel scared, you know, talking about something in your relationship, and there's a big, let's say there's some big secret or something you're ashamed of, talk about something a little bit less vulnerable and see how that goes, right? Bring up a little bit less of an intense trigger and see how that goes. Does that person um, treat you kindly? If so, how does that feel in your body? Okay, so then could you consider leveling up, you know? Guys, don't go ask strangers for rides. That's not what we're encouraging. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, basically uh, start small, you know? Uh, I mean, anything that's built, whether it's a company or your relationship with yourself, you do it brick by brick, you know, day by day. Even when you're going and trying to get stronger physically in the gym, you don't just, you know, put on 200 pounds and back squat it when you've never done that before. Uh, you put on the, the little blue five pounds and you work up. And I think uh, that's what you're talking about, right? There's no difference when it comes to, to healing is uh, handle what, what you know you can. Um, at the same time, you got to push yourself, um, but, but don't uh, lift heavy where you're going to injure yourself again. Yeah, push yourself gently and then celebrate the win, you know? Oh, I like that you said celebrate the win. Because that's a key part of it. We're really bad at that. Like, and this is this is my own thing because I'm really bad at that. Like last night in yoga, I've been I've been 
you know, really committed to yoga the last year. And I've been, and, and I'm very stubborn and I liked, I'm the kind of person who would go in the gym and try to do the thing that's impossible because I am irrationally stubborn. Um, and I did, you know, was, have been learning, doing harder, leveling up and doing harder and harder things. And then really sitting with the celebration. So last night I learned how to do an inversion that I had never been able to do before that I thought would be impossible for me. Nice. It wasn't. And then I just like sat for like a long time, let myself be super excited about that. You know, like I, you're, you're, you're onto something really important because I think this is where, um, we get the internal shifts. Like if we, um, here is here's an example. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, a, a big believer in experiences and how they shift us. Yeah. Uh, because you can think about th- something, you can visualize something, but until you actually experience it, because experiences are the most convincing, you don't really feel it in your body. You know, and so um, one of my false beliefs being that I'm a, a failed writer, and even after I got a book deal and an agent, I really didn't believe I was a writer. I thought I was a hack. I thought I got lucky. And it was the experience of actually walking into an airport um, and picking up my book. But but here here's the piece: I didn't allow that experience to just be um, uh, fleeting. I actually sat with it. Um, I gave myself the what you're talking about. You know the um, the credit or the the you know this is you or I, I gave myself the uh, the nod right, the acknowledgement, the pat on the yeah. back, and I needed to do that for. Um, that experience to then be cemented and something to shift because if I just that's very different than just walking to an airport seeing my book for the first time and being like oh cool that's really cool that's interesting and then you go move on and then you just uh, lost the opportunity to shift something in you or you like say to you because if you don't imprint the positive experience and celebrate it then the negative experience will take over oh right nice yep yep what i imagine is that you'd be like well you know it was it was just at lax and i'm from la or i don't know where what airport right you'd find some way to like make it conform to the narrative that you are a hack and that you're not really a writer right you there are infinite ways to make the experience conform to the negative narrative that you have going to the false belief. Yes, what a great point. And I want to, um, I know we're bird walking here and I'm making it about me, which I always do, but I want to bring it back to relationships. Yeah. Um, when uh, this idea of celebrating wins, like yeah. um, when you uh, maybe express, you know, what you, how you want to be touched and your partner uh, holds that, or you express uh, shame or what's hurt, what's been difficult for you and your partner holds that, um, and it's different than what you're used to. Uh, to actually celebrate those wins in your relationship, to know Absolutely. that it's different this time. Yeah, and to do that like in a way that the other person is aware of it, right? So like, because um, that's hard to do too. That's hard. Yeah. To, yeah, it's also vulnerable, right? But but you know, to I think it's a huge relationship builder if you circle back not just to the negative things but to the positive things as well, and say two days later, like, hey, you know, when, when we had that conversation at dinner the other night and I was telling you about my past, like I felt really scared and you handled that really beautifully. And, and like, thank you. Mm. Cause that builds glue. And it also then reinforces for yourself that like you're safe with this person. Yeah. And then, and then you're also, um, exercising your muscle to express yourself. Yeah. Celebrating the wins in your relationship. Cause that might be a lower stakes way of, um, you know, of being vulnerable, right. Cause sharing positives are vulnerable as well. But, you know, it's if you do the Gottman thing and you do the check in every week and and say, here are the things that are going really well, or even every night, you know, here are the things you did today that I really appreciate. You know, that's that's 
a lot of glue. How many people do you think actually um, check in? I mean, not, not even every day, let's say once a week and, and talk about what is going well in their relationship and what is not going well. Oh, I think, you know, very few. <laughs> yeah, very few. If any, I think it's really because it's really hard, you know, because for a bunch of reasons, one life gets in the way and two, like we just, you know, it's scary, but we should do these things because they, you know, they do strengthen the relationship. But why do we uh, give ourselves evaluations when it comes to work, when it comes to, you know, our, right. our fitness? I mean, we, we have trackers on our uh, wrists that, you know, evaluate our sleep and everything. But when it comes to relationships, we just, we never evaluate them. Yeah. And it's, we take them for granted. And then, you know, of course, then, the, you know, what are the chances that they're going to work if we don't actually put the work in? And I think we, this is a whole other conversation, but I think like we have, this is another conversation that's happening in, in society that I think is really potentially problematic, which is this idea of work in relationships and what does that actually mean? Because mm. everyone's throwing these words around, but no one's really talking about what it means, you know? So like, what does it mean to work on a relationship? Well, it means to do fun stuff too. Like work can be fun, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think a lot of people think uh, working on a relationship means that they're, you know, reading the uh, yeah. the uh, attached book or they're reading yeah. about their love languages. And all that is is good. I, I think it's 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 important to... Um, learn about yourself and concepts and all that but to me that's not the work that's just that's like that's almost sugar <laughs> uh, yeah I was just gonna say that it's like candy and the other thing is that I say the other thing that happens is that I see a, a lot of the time people um, excusing terrible behavior and trying to address it as we're just well we're just you know this is just the work of the relationship mm. no this is not a good relationship right like <laughs> you're not treated well or you guys aren't communicating or you don't see each other or something is missing right this isn't work this is you're just you're excusing bad behavior what would you say working on a relationship uh, would look like just some of the basics i mean checking in right having the courage to circle back being creative about how you communicate so if it's too scary to um to talk in face to face find a way to communicate uh, you know in another way first right email each other or have a Slack channel that's about fun things you guys want to do, make plans, right? Plant seeds. That's, that's work, right? Gardening is work. Um, be aware of yourself, work on yourself, right? Be aware of what you like and, and what your attachment style is and what your love language is, because that's kind of fascinating, but it's also helpful. Wait, did you say create a Slack channel? I did. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So like, so you and your partner created a channel on Slack. Um, that is uh, called, you know, our relationship. And so you're communicating on that channel about just your relationship. Yeah. We're like, so this is I, <laughs> actually get, I got from, um, Esther Perel, like create, she didn't say Slack, but like <laughs> create a channel, like a way of talking about just your, um, sex life, just your, what, so it's not that you, cause we text, we, we kind of communicate in these singular ways and then they get flooded with like who's going to take the garbage out who's going to write the check to the landlord or whatever, all these things. And then that's not sexy. Right. So like create a channel where you can talk about these things, create a channel where you can talk about future plans or travel things or dreams you want to do. Right. We don't, I think dream enough as individuals and also as couples. Right. Um, you know, I actually, um, so I don't have a Slack channel, but what I use is email and I've been doing this yeah. for, for years. I create a, a, an email thread and we yep. on that email thread, talk about things that we forget to or um you know that are deeper or that are you know very personal so it doesn't matter if it's a poem or uh 
me expressing how I like what you did to me last night or, or, right. or it could be like something that's difficult to talk about. Um, and so uh, this thread that, that I have, it, it's like, it's like two years long and it just goes that's on forever. Awesome. And it's, I'm sure it's like super enriching both for yourself. Cause then you can go back and search it too. And you can see when you're kind of assessing the relationship, what things have grown and what things you're like, Oh, I forgot about that thing that you did two years ago that night. Let's try that again. Right. Like, yeah. And I just think that for me, because my brain has now been wired after, you know, uh, documenting my journey for 10 years, it's like, I have to breadcrumb everything. So um, that was kind of natural for me. But, you know, whether you use email or Slack, like you were saying, uh, that's a it's a it may be easier. And this is uh, going back to, um, you know, smaller doses. Maybe this is how you start. Maybe it doesn't have to be a face to face conversation over breakfast uh, about what's working and not working. But maybe um, it is a a Slack channel or a a, a text thread or something where you can actually be vulnerable without jumping off the the deep end, but taking the, the, the stairs into the shallow. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause you cause again, it's like a lower stake thing, right? If you're, <clears throat> and this is true, right? If you're, if you're really physically biologically triggered by something, right? No work gets done when you're panicking, no work gets done when your amygdala is flooded. Right. So if you can't bear to sit there and have the conversation, then try to find another way to do it bit by bit, because you can close your computer and walk away. And take deep breaths and do a breathing exercise and walk on the floor or whatever, distract yourself, whatever you need to do. But that's really hard in a conversation. Um, I would just say make sure it's not the only way you're communicating. Right. It's it's a it's a I mean, add, additive. What? It's additional. It's not the only yeah. way. And it's the beginning, right? So it's like I can't I don't I can't say this to your face, but I'm gonna put it here and then maybe we could like talk around it later a little bit, you know, like what do you think um, trauma and uh, technology is headed, or you know, the internet and yeah. trauma, and, and how we are also doing, you know, Skype sessions and um, coaching people via, well, you know, webcam, all of that stuff. Yeah, so I think that's that's a great. I love that you're asking that question because I think there's a lot of hope here, right? Like, um, one of the things that I saw really a long time ago, actually, when I was working with veterans, is that um, veterans would um, instead of they had to kind of create uh, telehealth uh, on bases. Iraq and Afghanistan because people didn't want to leave. They didn't want other people to know that they were going to therapy. And so they started engaging online. Um, and there was, as you know, a lot of resistance to that, but, um, I think that online modalities and I think coaching, right. There's this idea that, um, trauma is too big for these things. And I think that's totally false, right? I don't think coaching is therapy light. I think it's a different tool. Um, and so I think that, um, if, you know, you feel more comfortable talking to a coach over your webcam, then I think that that can be just as healing, if not more healing than going to a therapist's office. Well, and, it's, well, also it's a bridge, meaning it's, it, yeah. it's better than nothing. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think there's also like one of the things, one of my goals in life is to really kind of change and alter some of these conversations we're having about trauma because the trauma response is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. And, um, and that's, a biological fact, like that's not just my opinion. Um, but we've got this narrative that's totally backwards about it, that it means that we're fucked up or that we're weak or that we're broken or whatever. Um, and so I think, you know, pieces coming out on medium, people are writing about their experience. They're resonating with other people. There's group sessions online. There's people talking about it on Twitter, like psychoeducation, all this stuff, all this conversation can be, um, can be really healing. 
Yeah, absolutely. What do you think about trauma in VR? Uh, what do you mean? Um, using virtual uh, uh, reality um, to because um, they're they're using VR with meditation, so you're you know you put the goggles on and you're actually experiencing something. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Can you? Uh, can can there be some some custom um, experiences um, that are created for people who uh, you know have been traumatized? For sure, I would worry a lot about how it's like deployed because um, you know, like I said earlier about about exposure therapy, repeatedly exposing yourself to a trigger in like a kind of a violent way. Um, which is what exposure therapy is. I think violence, I think it's actually torture. Um, uh, can re-traumatize you, and so it would have to be really careful. But I think you know, I, I think the sky's the limit with stuff like that, right? If you could teach yourself, uh, bring yourself back to an experience, and kind of change the way that you responded, that can teach your brain and your body that you have more options than you think. Or even if you just have virtual reality experiences of safety, that could be a way of you know kind of rewriting your 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 inner narrative yeah and this is why you know um having a trauma coach is important yeah so i think a lot of people think uh uh you know and, and you just mentioned that you know therapy and coaching is very different and coaching isn't therapy light uh um let's talk about how they're different because um i think a lot of people when it comes to trauma they think it uh it, 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 you only uh, have to see a therapist and that's not true yeah, no, I don't, I don't think, I don't think it's true. I think that, you know, it's a different tool, right? So life coaching, you know, is about, is about the space between therapy and thriving, you know, and there's a rich space there. Um, I think that the way that I like to think about it is that therapists kind of hold up a diagnostic manual and coaches hold up a mirror. Um, and so therapy might involve spending a lot of time kind of unraveling the past, trying to figure out what your patterns are, how to diagnose them and how, you know, what kind of clinical, you know, methodologies there are to, to deal with them. Coaching is going to kind of focus on your past, maybe only insofar as it impacts your current behavior, which might be a lot, right? But um, it's a different, it's forward facing rather than past facing. And I've done both. Like personally, I have been in therapy and I've had coaches and I think they're both really helpful and important tools. Well, here's the other thing. Um, because World, the world doesn't stop, and because uh, we are constantly, uh, whether it's subtle or or, or big, uh, traumatized, and 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 it's just the way life is, and you know we get hurt by people and and events and things that we're we're not um, uh, predicted. Yeah. Um, what about you know prevention? So like yeah. uh, having a trauma coach can also as you learn more about um, healing from trauma and learn more about trauma how it affects you in your body, um, you could get tools to actually prevent. Absolutely. And also, so this is about like resilience, right? And I think this is another place where the, our narrative about trauma, meaning weakness is really problematic because traumatic experience, when you heal from it and you will, uh, builds resilience and resilience is the thing that prevents further trauma from happening. Right. Um, and if you have a coach that can kind of walk you through that process, by the way, there are a lot of therapists that have that don't know anything about trauma, right? There are coaches that don't know anything about trauma too, but um, just having a license doesn't mean you have a trauma background. Um, but yeah, having a coach who can kind of teach you about the ways in which, and, and, and reflect back the ways in which you have become resilient and the ways in which your trauma has made you strong, um, those are things that you can carry into your future when you face you know, future issues. Yeah. I mean, you, you and I are actually a great example. Um, even though I am technically a licensed therapist, 
Um, if you wanted to see me about trauma, MC would do a much better job with that topic than me. And that's just because I've been talking about love and relationships and other things. And I, I, I've not been um, um, working with that demographic. Yeah, for sure. And and that's the thing I think like whatever, whoever you're seeking out, kind of look into what their, what their background is and what, um, whether it fits with what you what you're looking for, especially with trauma, because I I've heard a lot of people, you know, a lot of people turn to coaching because they've had bad experiences in therapy and, um, and they get judged or shamed and, um, yeah, that's terrible. I want to end with uh, a visual that I think you and I, we've discussed this before and we really, uh, we're big fans of it. It's the, uh, the, uh, the, the Japanese art, the, the plate yeah. that's um, shattered that when you bring it together, that reminds me of trauma. You know, um, yeah. So describe that. Uh, yeah, I talk about that all the time. That um, so the I'm gonna pronounce this probably incorrectly, but this is how I've been pronouncing it all this, my my life is just this the Japanese art of kintsugi, which is um, it came out of practical, uh, you know, just a practical use, right? So if you have two ceramic bowls in your house and one of them breaks, you need to fix it because you need you you know you can't just go get another one. And so um, they would lacquer the uh, broken pottery back together. And then because it's a culture that's very aesthetic and they like things that are aesthetically pleasing, right? Who doesn't? Um, they started um, lacquering the ceramic back together with gold lacquer. And then the um, the pieces that had been broken became, you know, societally more valuable than the ones that never had because they're more beautiful. They're more interesting. They're more, they're just more valuable. And I think that's a beautiful way of thinking about trauma. And I believe it to be true. This is not a metaphor that falls apart. I think it's actually a fact that when you heal from trauma, you become stronger and more beautiful in ways that were not possible had you not experienced the trauma. Well, think of it this way. Um, the people, I think the most beautiful people are the people that have gone through the most shit. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Uh, the, the people with the, the most colorful stories. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's, it enhances your life, right? Going through that process is a learning experience. It's straight. It's you build muscles, you build resilience, you build appreciation and perspective. And those things don't come otherwise. I don't want to be friends with people who have easy lives. Yeah. Who have, who have, who have never uh, gone through any hardship um, because they tend to be uh, more two dimensional. <laughs> yeah. And also, like, I think it's hard, it can be hard for them to, to understand, you know, the depth of loss and, and pain and, and that, that can be a, a difficult relationship barrier too, you know? Well, um, MC, thank you so much for this conversation on a uh, Saturday afternoon. It's gorgeous out here in LA. It is. I love it. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I'm staring at, so I'm in Glendale and, and today's day number two. Uh, I told myself that uh, I grew up in Glendale, so I told myself I would never go back to Glendale. Uh, there's nothing wrong with Glendale, but, you know, it's like growing up in your hometown and never wanting to go back. Sure. And um, now at 46, I find myself back in Glendale, which is interesting, and I am um, staring at the Glendale Hills, where as a uh, kid in high school, the football team, we used to go up there and chalk the H. So I see the H right in front of me as I'm doing this podcast, which is really weird. And it, here's the thing, the road forks right here where I could either think that uh, I'm back in my old city, you know, I've, I, it's like I've come back with my tail between my legs, I'm, I'm, you know, all this, all this stuff. Or um, you tell me the or, or what's the other way to look at it so I don't, I don't Yeah, no, the, um, 
there's a there's a quote by Thoreau, um, and it's something I'm going to get it wrong a little bit, but the idea, the sentiment is that he says something like, "All we ever do is great circle sailing," mm. which is that we we think that we're headed in a linear direction, right, and that we are making progress and we're going up the mountain, and that's true in some sense, but the mountain we're going around the mountain, right? It's a circle, and so you are where you began, but in a completely different way. Right. And that that's what I need to sit with. And maybe I don't have the answer today. Uh, logically, I am here because uh, it's a bigger space. It's a gorgeous loft. And my mom lives literally across the street. So me, me having a child, uh, she's going to be um, it, I'm basically here for free, uh, free, uh, a free nanny. <laughs> but but yeah. on a deeper level, um, you're you're uh, what did you call it? Circle? Great circle sailing, but I have one more quote. Yeah. Yes, the this great is the benefit of having a coach that has, you know has an academic PhD. Oh, yeah. I love that. You should you should charge extra for for your catalog of quotes. Um, but um, I have I, I, I've circled so I've circled I've sailed circled back, um, and uh, hopefully um, I'm going to give myself a corrective experience. So, but check this one out. This is even this one I think is more appropriate for you. We shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started. And know the place for the first time. Oh, can I rediscover Glendale? T.S. Eliot. Uh, <laughs> um, well, I believe that you can. All right, I'm gonna heal my trauma of Glendale. Uh, yeah. What a great reminder! And so, as I stare at the H right now, um, give myself a new experience. Even though I'm at the same place, I'm a different person. Yeah. Guys, that was an example of a mindset, and I hope you approach that, um, approach your life with it, whether you are also circle sailing or in a relationship that uh, may be different or smells familiar, I don't know. Uh, but to drop in and to, to uh, uh, give yourself the wins, know that things are different, make sure that you are in safe spaces, but uh, drop into your body and actually start to feel these new experiences so you could create shifts and heal from a lot of uh, traumatic wounds in the past. MC, where can MC, by the way, um, teaches for our Catalyst Intensive at Journey Coaching. So um, she's one of the instructors, which I, I, I'm so happy that she is. Um, and you are also, uh, what else are you doing these days? You're doing that. You're obviously coaching private. Yeah, I'm private. doing all the things. Um, so I just launched um, my own kind of co coaching business, Alchemy Coaching. So you can find that at, at alchemycoaching.life. And I do one-on-one um, -on -one sessions, obviously. Um, we can do, um, I do free consults for people that don't know me yet. Um, and then something that I'm just launching this month is uh, group sessions um, on relationship trauma. So there's going to be a theme every month. Um, and the, the, the theme this month, because it's February and Valentine's Day, is relationship trauma. So we're going to talk about breakups, trust, infidelity, triggers, all sorts of things. Um, and so you can sign up there at alchemycoaching.life slash workshops. Or uh, where can they find you on Instagram? If they want to just DM you or. Um, yeah, on Instagram, I am, hold on, I need to find out my handle because I just changed it. MCPHD. <laughs> um, so it's E-M-S-E-Y-P-H-D. And then on, um, yeah, so DM her, email her, um, get a hold of her, uh, jump into her group or do a private session. Mm -hmm. Or uh, if you're uh, if you're curious about live coaching, um, jump into our intensive, and she will also she'll be one of the, one of your instructors. But um, get some MC in your life. I think she's amazing. I love that we speak the same language, MC. And I hope that uh, me too. We, I'm glad to know you. Yeah, and I I, uh, I I I'm glad to know you too, and I hope that we continue on our journey uh, for another decade. Thank you.
We will indeed. Absolutely. Okay, guys, be well. Bye.